You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Thank you, Mel and Jordan, for leading us in that time of worship. It's good to be reminded that because of the blood of Jesus, we have new life. It's rewritten our history, our future is determined, we have purpose, and all that we want and all that we hope for and all that we need is found in Jesus. We just sang those truths together. So what should we do in response to those truths that we just sang? Give our whole lives to Christ, to serving him and to worshiping him. That's basically the gist of my entire sermon this morning. So we just sang it so we can pray and be done and we'll get out early. Um, no, that's not true. I'm still going to preach. Um, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is James Valet. I served as the discipleship pastor here at Redeemer for about two and a half years, recently completed the church planting residency program. And so now, literally this week, uh, my family and I are moving down to Dripping Springs with uh, several other families from Redeemer Midland that if you're here last week, you got to see them, um, or two weeks ago during our send-off service. Uh, moving down there to plant a gospel-centered missional church in Dripping Springs. So this will be my last sermon that I get to uh, preach here at Redeemer Midland while living in Midland. Oh, cool. Hopefully not my, thank you, amen. Uh, hopefully not my last sermon ever here at Redeemer Midland, but while living here. And every sermon, every opportunity that I get to preach, I want you to know is special and sacred to me. But this passage, this morning, to this church is particularly um, going to be a special passage to me. I love you guys. I love this church. I'm grateful for each and every one of you and how you've encouraged me personally and how you've encouraged my family and the families that are moving with us. And so I want to pray. I want to begin by praying that God would use me to encourage you um, this last one more time. So would you pray with me as we begin? God, we worship you as the creator of heaven and earth, the almighty God, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, but yet, God, full of love and mercy and grace. And we worship you this morning because of these truths. You're the God who comforts us and gives us peace. So I pray that together, as we open your word, as we look at your word, that your Holy Spirit would fill us, fill this room, fill me and speak through me. May your word come alive to us and may it encourage and challenge our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. We're going to be finishing up Romans chapter 15. If you weren't here last week, or if you're just joining us in our journey through the book of Romans, let me give you a brief little recap to bring us up. We'll, be in, uh, we'll start in 15, verse 22. We're going to go all the way through the end of chapter 15. But let me bring you, give you a quick review to bring you up to where we're at and how we got here in Romans 15. So Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome to explain to this church the gospel that he preached. So he spends the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans basically expositing or explaining the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we're all born in sin, separated from God, but God did not leave us in that hopeless state. 
He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for him. And so the only way that we can have peace with God again, the only way to be saved and forgiven of our sin and have our fear and shame and sin covered by the blood of Christ is by trusting in Christ. So he spends the first 11 chapters talking about what what that means and what that looks like and what that really is. The only way to be saved is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. And then he kind of pivots in chapter 12 and, and starts to focus on, okay, now that's the gospel. Now here's what this looks, looks like lived out practically in your life. And he takes the gospel and he applies it to some specific problems that they were having in the church in Rome. He's like, okay, faith in Jesus, you're a new person, no longer enslaved to sin, filled with the spirit. Now that's what this looks like lived out in real life. And that's 12 through 16, really through the end of, end of, end of the book. But last week, um, at the beginning of chapter 15, there's, there's another little pivot, and then today there's another little pivot that we're going to look at. But last week, Pastor Jason kind of gave the analogy of Paul has climbed this mountaintop. So it's like at the, it, in the first half of chapter 15, it's like Paul has written, he's explained these deep truths about the gospel. He's given them some practical application in chapters 12, 13, and 14. Then at the beginning of chapter 15, he kind of zooms out and looks at this big meta-narrative of Scripture and he's like, man, be encouraged, church. Like, God is keeping his promises. God is faithful. All the promises he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and all those people, God's doing it. He's fulfilled those promises in Christ, and he's saving people today, Jews and Gentiles, forming his church, just like he said he would do. So be encouraged. Have hope. And so that was last week. That brings us up to verse 22, where we're going to start this morning. And again, there's a slight change in subject matter. Paul shares his future plans with the, with the church in Rome. So here's what I plan to do. And then he asks them for prayer, and then he prays for them. And so there's a, there's a lot that we can learn from this passage this morning. Um, but what we will not see in this passage this morning is any concept of retirement from Christian ministry. Okay, I want to be clear about that. Retirement from Christian ministry. The, I think the whole concept of retirement is interesting, so I, I did some research on it this week. I've, I've read about it in the past, and it's really only about 100 years old, it's the concept of retirement. When, when you reach a certain age, when you've worked for a company for 20, 25 years, you've set enough money back in a 401k, or you've got your Social Security, or whatever it is, you've made these plans, and, and then you just cease from paid labor, and you get to do whatever you want to do. That's kind of the American concept of retirement. And that's great most of the time when it's applied to career and paid labor and things like that. But it can never be applied to the Christian life or Christian ministry. And sometimes it's not healthy for humanity in general. I read a fascinating article by the Harvard Business Review this week about this people group in Okinawa, Japan, that live on average seven years longer than every American. Their, their lifespan is seven years longer than the average American. And they have one of the highest, um, uh, or the, you have the, they have the least amount of disability as they reach old age. So it's one of the healthiest people groups on the planet, the Okinawans in Japan. And what they found, so they studied them for seven years. They took 43,000 adults between the ages of 50 and 65, and they studied them for seven years. And they wanted to know why this lifespan is longer, and they wanted to know why they're so much healthier. 
What they found was they, uh, Okinawans only eat 80%, they only eat until they're 80% full, which is something I fail at miserably. I eat until I'm all the way full. Uh, when their b babies are born, they put them in these social groups, and uh, these little babies grow up together and grow old together. So you have a physical element to it, and you have this social element to it that's healthy. But then another thing that's interesting is they have a very different concept of retirement than we do as Americans in the West. Uh, in fact, they don't even have a word for retirement in their language. There's no concept of retirement. Instead, they have this thing called ikigai. So that's Japanese. I don't speak Japanese. Now you know at least one Japanese word. They have this thing called ikigai. And what ikigai means is a reason to get up in the morning. So if you have a reason to get up in the morning, if you have an ikigai, then you just get up and do it until you die. You just get up and do it. Um, so in the, in, over this seven-year study, it was fascinating the people who said, who going in, of the 43,000 adults that went in, the people who going in said they had an icky guy, 95% of them at the end of that seven years were still thriving and healthy and alive. And those who said they did not have an icky guy either did not live that long or, or at the end of the study were suffering from depression and their health was declining drastically. So retirement isn't always good. I think that's just a, I think that's just a good thing to think about. It's this is... What they have in Okinawa is a completely different mindset. It's not the question of when do I get to stop working. It's like, what do I have to get up and work for? It's just a completely different outlook on life. Again, there's nothing inherently wrong with retirement from paid labor. There's nothing wrong with seeking retirement and saving up 401k and all of those things. But cannot be it can that cannot be applied to the Christian life or the Christian church. There is never a phase in life when we as Christians can say, I did it. I'm done. I've served this long. I've done these things. And so I'm just going to retire uh, from, from Christian life, from Christian ministry, from advancing the kingdom of God. As churches, there's never a phase, never a time when we can say, I've done this and this, and we've supported these and, and sent these missionaries and all of this stuff, so we're done. We're just going to focus on ourselves, and we're retiring from advancing the kingdom of God. There's never a time for that. As long as we exist, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have this icky guy. You have a reason to get up in the morning. Your life has a purpose. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you have a reason to get up in the morning, and it's to advance the kingdom of God in every area and every phase of your life. And that's what we see Paul showing us in Romans chapter 15. I would say the main point of this sermon is this. Here's the main point of this text in Romans 15. The main point that we see is that every Christian in every church should be working to advance the kingdom of God in every area and in every phase of your life. All we want, all we hope, all we need, all, all of everything is found in Jesus. So how do we respond to that? Because he shed his blood for us, we serve him for the rest of our lives. Never retire from Christian ministry. Never retire from serving the Lord. That's the point. And Paul tells us to do this in three ways. Three ways that we can do this. Three ways that you can advance the kingdom of God in every area of your life, in every moment of your life, in every phase of your life. Three ways, and they're persevere, partner, and pray. Those are the three points to my sermon here. Persevere, partner, and pray. The first one, persevere. 
The first way we can always be working to advance the kingdom of God is to persevere in the ministry and use the gifts that he's given us. And to not grow weary and not retire, but to persevere. Look at what Paul says. I'm actually going to begin in verse 20 because that's important to, in helping us understand verse 22. What he says in verse 22. So begin with me. Romans 15, verse 20. He says, Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. For this reason, because Paul's been called to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. He's writing to a Christian church in Rome. The gospel's already there. Christ has already been named there. So he says, for this reason, this is the reason why I have been so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any work, room for work in these regions, and since I've longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped, and be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So think about this. Paul is at the end of his third missionary journey. He writes this letter from Corinth, the city of Corinth, and he writes it to Rome. He's an old man, and his, his mission's resume is impressive. He has successfully planted a church in every major city in the entire eastern half of the Roman Empire. And he says, Rome has already been reached. So he makes this bold statement. He says, there's no longer any work for me to do here. Now, was Paul saying that there is no longer discipleship that needed to happen or villages that needed to be reached? No, that's not what he was saying. He was saying, God has specifically called me, Paul, the Apostle Paul, to plant churches in large cities all throughout the empire, wherever Christ has not been named. And then from those cities, those churches are to then press the gospel out into the rural areas and reach the villages. And that was Paul's strategy, and that's what he was called to do. So when he says there's no longer any work for me to do here, he's saying, I've, I've, from Rome east, it's been reached. Christ is being preached. And then notice what he doesn't say. Like, I did it. So I'm just going to retire from ministry. I'm an old man. It's my third missionary journey. I'm just going to be done. No, he says, no, I plan to go to Spain, the farthest point west of the Roman Empire. It was a new part of the Roman Empire at the time. And Paul says, Christ has not been preached there. The, the concept of retiring from Christian ministry never even entered Paul's mind. As long as I have breath in my lungs, I'm going to preach Christ where Christ has not been preached. No, no concept, no idea of retirement. I must keep going further west because the east has already been reached. We see it in verse 24. He says, I'm making plans to go to Spain, and I hope to stop and get to see you, church in Rome, and hang out with you for a little while, and I hope that you'll partner with me as I go to Spain. But those are my plans. Paul had this icky guy, this purpose in life, a reason to get up in the morning to advance the kingdom of God, and he never retired from it. He retired from it when he was martyred for his faith. But he persevered in his ministry until the day that he died. And the same principle applies to me and you as individuals and as a church, as I've said before. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have a clear calling from the Lord. You have a reason to get up in the morning. God's Holy Spirit has given you gifts to build up the church, 
to reach the lost, to advance the kingdom, persevere in those. Persevere in those. Figure out what they are. What has God gifted you to do? Who has God put in your sphere of influence that you can share the love of Christ with? How can you use your energy and your resources to advance the kingdom of God? Christians never get the mindset of, oh, I've done it. I've made this many disciples. I've seen this many baptism. I've stacked this many chairs. I've taught this many kids lessons, put away all these panels. I'm just done. I'm retiring, retiring from Christian ministry. And churches never, ever get the mindset of we've planted this many churches and we support this many missionaries, so we're done. We should focus on ourselves. Now, I'm not saying don't take a break. I'm not saying don't ever take breaks. Paul was all about taking breaks. He's like, I want to I stop in Rome on my way to Spain and be refreshed by your company for a while. There's seasons in life when we need to be poured into and we need to rest. So he's not saying don't take a break, but he's saying after I'm refreshed and after I hang out with you guys, after I take my break, I'm back, back on mission. I'm back doing the thing that God called me to do for the rest of my life. Never going to retire. He's going to persevere in that. So that's the first way. We can focus on advancing the kingdom of God is to persevere. Don't grow weary. It will be frustrating. It will be frustrating and depressing at times and disheartening, but persevere. Paul faced hardships in ministry, but he persevered in them. Number two is to partner. Another way that we can be working to advance the kingdom of God is with, by partnering with other churches. We see this beautiful partnership in this passage of Scripture. Look at verses 25 through 29. He says, At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. So I'm going to, from the church in Corinth. I'm going to go visit the church in Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spirit have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you, and I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. Notice all of the churches here that are partnered together, that are mentioned. Very diverse churches. Churches that had arguments about things, but churches that agreed together about the gospel, and that we're all about partnering together to advance that, the spread of the gospel, to advance the kingdom of God. You've got the church in Rome that Paul's writing to. He's writing from the church in Corinth, and he says he's going to visit the church in Jerusalem to bring a gift to them, that the churches in Macedonia and Achaia have, have gathered and generously given to the poor in Jerusalem. This would be the Thessalonian church. This would be the Philippian church the Corinthian church, and more. All of these churches gave to relieve the poverty in Jerusalem. So he tells us, like, we just see this beautiful gospel partnership between churches. And it's important. There's strength in numbers. That's important in advancing the kingdom of God. There's strength in numbers. We started, uh, so we thought we were going to be living in a tiny home in our camper, a uh, 28-foot travel trailer, uh, for the first few months, uh, while we, while we, when, we get to, when we got to Dripping Springs, things have changed, so we now have a rent house that we can live in. Uh, but we, so we, we thought we were going to be living in this camper that has been at our dear lease for a year. So it needed some cleaning up, needed a little renovation. And uh, so we get on Pinterest, and we look up some great, cute ideas about how to renovate this camper. 
And uh, everything we read is like, uh, it's easy, they said. <laughs> it will be quick, they said. Two days. Two days and you'll be done, is what they said. And I learned uh, and, and about five days into sanding and cleaning and prepping and, and, and not even being done, I learned two things, that all of those Pinterest blogs are lies. They're liars. I want to comment on there and say that's not true. Don't believe it. It takes forever, and it's hard. And I was exhausted. So I learned that, that the Pinterest blogs were, were full of lies, and two, uh, that I needed some partners to help me. I needed some help. And so some guys from the church came over, and they helped me paint for a couple hours at a time, and, and then they would leave, and just and Jackson and Jameson helped me with cabinets and drawers, and Randa was in there helping me paint a little bit. And um, the more partners I had, the better. The faster the work went, the more effective I was at getting this camper renovated. And so the same is true with churches. The more partners, the better. The more partners united around the gospel of Jesus Christ, pooling resources and networking together, the better, the faster the advancement of the kingdom is going to be. It's what I love about the Redeemer Network. Redeemer Midland is a part of the Redeemer Network. Redeemer Dripping Springs is part of the Redeemer Network. And through the Redeemer Network and the pooling of resources and the accountability and the camaraderie in the Redeemer Network, God has used the Redeemer Network to advance the kingdom. I think within 13 years, there's been 25 healthy churches planted. We'll be number 26. Like, praise God. But that's churches partnering together around the gospel. Paul, Paul gives us two ways that we can partner together. As, as he talks about the way these churches partner together, two things that I observed from the passage. Number one is they provided financial support. As I said, they pooled resources. The Jerusalem church planted the Antioch church. And Antioch then commissioned Paul and sent him out to plant these other churches. And as he discipled them and he taught them, he taught them to network and support other churches. That's why we see these Gentile churches gathering up an offering to relieve the suffering that was in Jerusalem that was full of Jewish Christians. Verses 26 through 27, uh, he says twice that those new church plants in those Gentile areas they were pleased to generously give to this church in Jerusalem. It says they were very pleased to do it. They were excited about doing it. Why? Why were they excited to give to these people who were critical of them? Because they were Gentile and they were Jewish? Because they knew in doing this, they're advancing the kingdom of God. The church in Jerusalem was spreading the gospel too. And so if they could help them advance the kingdom of God, they would gladly do it. So we as individuals and as churches should be excited to partner with other churches by meeting financial needs. Number two is maintain healthy relationships. It's another way that you can partner with other churches or encourage partnership between other churches. It's all about healthy relationships. We see the importance of this, Paul emphasizing this as he, as Luke, we see it in the book of Acts. Luke follows Paul around and, and logs all of this stuff about Paul's missionary journeys and what he would do is he would go to these churches, and then he would report back to his church in Antioch and share what God has done, and they would celebrate. He's trying to foster. All the while, he's fighting for peace between the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians, and he's always just fighting for this reconciliation and unity and peace and healthy relationships between Christians and churches, and he labored to do that, and he loved the churches. Paul loved all the churches. He loved the church in Jerusalem, where he was taking the gift to. He loved the churches, the Gentile churches that he'd planted in, in Thessalonica and Philippi and Corinth. And he loved the church in Rome who he'd never even met. 
But we see him talk about it in verse 22. I've wanted to visit you for so long, I've just been hindered. Verse 23, I've longed for many years to come to the church in Rome. Verse 24, I can't wait to get there and enjoy your company for a while. Verse 29, he comforts them. And he says, when I come, it will be in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. That's what it should look like for churches partnering together, longing to be in the presence of one another, longing to support other churches, longing to be in fellowship with other churches. It's hard, though. All right? Healthy relationships are hard. Healthy relationships are hard between Christians. Right? Christians can be stubborn. Christians can hurt us. Christians can be annoying. It can be frustrating to partner with other churches. When churches partner together, you have different ministry philosophies. Paul had problems with all of these churches. Paul, we've read the letter, if you've read the letter to the Corinthians, you know about their problems. Each church had a problem that he addressed. The church in Rome, they were judging each other. We just addressed that a few weeks ago. But yet Paul loved them all and he fought to maintain healthy relationships to keep these partnerships healthy. So do you long to be with other Christians? I would ask you. Do you joyfully, generously give to your church and other churches? Do you encourage unity and partnerships between other gospel-centered Christians and or churches? Paul wanted to ensure that churches partnered together with each other financially and maintained healthy relationships with one another because they're strength in numbers. And that was going to effectively advance the kingdom of God. So that's number two. Number three, so we have persevere in your ministry, partner with other churches, and then lastly, pray. The most effective way that you can advance the kingdom of God is prayer. And as I wrote that, I initially thought, prayer? Like, isn't there something more practical um, that I could do, like write a check or actually go overseas or, or, or do something like that? Isn't there something more tangible that I can do? Pray? No. Prayer. Prayer is the most powerful and effective way that you can advance the kingdom of God, and that is why Paul begs for it here. Look at Romans 15, verses 30 through 33. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. Appeal means beg. I beg you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with all joy and be refreshed in your company. So Paul focused on advancing the kingdom of God with his eyes fixed on planting churches in Spain, pleads and urges these, urges these Christians by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to struggle with him in prayer, to pray hard with him, to pray hard with him. Now, why? He asked specifically for two things, that, be kept, that he would be kept safe from the unbelievers who wanted to harm him in Jerusalem and that his service would be accepted by the saints in Jerusalem. So is prayer effective? Evidently, Paul believed it was with all of his heart because he concludes this section by begging for it. Listen to what Charles Hodges says about these verses. One commentator says this, 
Prayer has a real and important efficacy. It really works. It's effective. Not merely in its influence on the mind of him who offers it, so not only does it change me as I pray, but also in securing the blessing for which we pray. Paul directed the Roman Christians to pray for the exercise of divine providence in protecting him from danger and for the Holy Spirit to influence the minds of other Christians in Jerusalem. This he would not have done were such petitions to no avail. If Paul didn't think it really mattered, if prayer wasn't really that effective, then he wouldn't be begging these Christians, ask God to providentially work on my behalf. Ask God to please work in the hearts and minds of these people where I'm going. So were Paul's prayers answered? Yes. Were Paul's prayers, and assuming that this church in Rome, when they received the letter and they offered prayers up for Paul, were they effective? Yes. Paul was delivered from harm in Jerusalem from unbelievers, maybe not in the way he expected or wanted. He was saved from a mob by Roman soldiers and put into captivity and then sent to Rome, but he was protected from the unbelievers in Jerusalem. And we have reason to believe from Acts 21 and Acts 27 that the gift that he brought to Jerusalem to the Jewish Christians from the Gentile Christians helped, helped bridge this divide between Jewish and Gentile Christianity. So his prayers were effective. Prayer is essential to the advancement of the kingdom of God. R.C. Sproul says this, prayer is the only thing that is effective in this great spiritual struggle for the minds and souls of men and women. It not only changes us, but it is also God's appointed means to spiritual victory and right ends. Only God can change hearts and minds. We're to speak the truth in love, but only God can change hearts and minds. So we're to pray. So I'd plead with you, church, to strive, to strive together in prayers for others. Pray for the lost. Pray that God would change hearts. Pray against the attacks of the enemy. Pray for other Christians. Pray for other churches. Pray for your pastor. Pray for other pastors. Pray. So that's what Romans 15, 22 through 32 teaches us. He says, this is what he teaches us. You have a purpose as long as you live. You have a reason to get up in the morning as long as you live. We see this from Paul's life. Spend your lives working to advance the kingdom of God in every area and in every phase of your life. Persevere in your ministry, even when it's discouraging. Never stop serving the Lord. Encourage partnerships and seek them out. Work for partnerships with other Christians and other churches. And pray. But lastly, give me a moment because Paul then offers a prayer for them in verse 33. And I want to take a second to look at this prayer with you. Romans 15 verse 33 simply says this. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So that's a prayer, but it's also a benediction. So benediction is like a final prayer or a final goodbye. And this one is interesting. These benedictions are interesting. One, Paul typically closes his letters with a benediction. Uh, May the love of the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all or something like that. Look at all of his letters. He ends them 
with, with a benediction, with a prayer. But in the book of Romans, there's five different benedictions. And this is the third of the five. So he's had one at the end of chapter 11. He explains the gospel and gets to the end of chapter 11. He just says, oh, the depths of the riches, the wisdom and the knowledge and the glory of God. To him be praise and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's just like a closing prayer. And then he's like, oh, I have to keep going. Uh, Now some practical application. Then he goes to uh, chapter 12 through 15, verse 13. Pastor Jason read a benediction last week. It's like, may the God of hope give you, may you abound in hope in your believing. It's a benediction, a closing prayer. And there's another one here, and there's two more in chapter 16. It's like Paul is having a hard time saying goodbye. Have you ever been in one of those conversations where you want to say goodbye, you think the conversation's about to end, and then a new topic comes up, and then a new topic comes up, and then a new topic comes up. I remember dating my wife, Randa. I remember we were dating long distance. I was in Midland, she was in Abilene, and talking on the phone and just Oh, it's one o'clock. I've got to go to bed. I got to get up early. And a new topic would come up. And we just keep talking and talking. I just didn't want to say goodbye to her. It's like that's what Paul's experiencing here with the Romans. He's like, ah, oh, the gospel's so awesome. Man, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's ah, oh, this practical. Here's how you can apply it to your life. You know, be encouraged. God is keeping his promises. Be filled with hope. And then here, like, man, I I know y'all have things to worry about in Rome, and I've got a lot I'm worried about on my way to Jerusalem. Pray for me, and I'm going to pray for you as well. May the God of peace be with you all. So this isn't Paul's last benediction in this letter. Like I said, there'll be two more in 16, but it's the last one that I get to read to you. And I want you to know that this will be my prayer for you, Redeemer Midland, as we go. May the God of peace be with you all. James Montgomery Boyce wrote an entire, preached an entire sermon on these 10 words. May the God of peace be with you all. He called it the greatest of all the benedictions. It's the shortest, 10 words. But he called it the greatest of all benedictions. Why? Because peace is the greatest need of sinful, broken humanity. Peace. Peace with God. We're born at enmity with God. So we desperately need peace with God, and we have that through Jesus Christ. Peace with ourselves. If we're not at peace with God, we will not be at peace with ourselves. And if we're not at peace with ourselves, then we won't be at peace with other people. And we'll find it hard to find peace in the midst of our circumstances. That's why this benediction, this final prayer, is so great. And why I want to pray it over you, Redeemer Midland. I pray that you would have, everyone in here would have peace with God. That if you are far from God, that God would show that to you and draw you to his son Jesus for salvation. And that you would be at peace with God. And I pray that you'd be at peace with yourself because of that. That you know your identity in Christ, know who you are in Jesus. pray that you have, have peace with one another in this church. That there'd be no divisions, nothing but peace. Peace with others, peace with other churches, peace with the people that you live with and work with. And lastly, I pray that you'd have peace in your circumstances. No matter what you go through and how difficult it is, I pray that the God of peace would be with you all. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you and we worship you for who you are and for all that you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I thank you for this church.
and the encouragement that it has been to us. I thank you for, for the work that you have done in this church, God. To you be the glory for everything good that has ever happened here at Redeemer Midland. The good in my life, the good in my family's life, the good in all of our lives. We give all the glory to you, God, and we praise you for that. God, we ask for grace to persevere in ministry. When it's hard, I pray that we'd continue to serve you. We'd look for opportunities to serve you in our everyday lives all the time. And that we would never give up on that. God, I pray that we as individuals and that Redeemer Midland as a church and Redeemer Dripping Springs as a future church would seek out healthy partnerships and maintain healthy partnerships and pool resources and, and strive to have healthy relationships with one another. God, and I, and I ask that you would make us a people of prayer. Make us people who pray. Help us not to think prayer to believe the lie that prayer is not effective. God, fill our hearts with faith that you answer prayer and that you use prayer to change us and to change the hearts and minds of men and women. God, be with us in, as, we, as we engage in this battle uh, to further your kingdom. We love you. We thank you for our time together. We thank you for being with us. We just pray that you'd be with us as we worship worship you here at the end. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.